Hi folks, I'm Alan Wharton. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 23rd of August 2012. For newcomers out there, you should help yourself to the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com and you find over a thousand audios for a free download where I go through this history of the big system that runs the world and how they have thousands of think tanks across the planet working full-time to do all the cultural changes uh, to affect all of you, of course, and your children. Uh, and the same thing happened, of course, to your parents, your grandparents. This has been going on for an awful long time. And so if you have yourself to the audios, you find out the organizations and the foundations uh, behind it and their big, big plans for the future. And they did publish their own books, lots of books, at the beginning of the 20th century. And uh, for those who have, have managed to get some of the ones I've mentioned, I'm sure they've had an awful eye-opener as to the reality of the world, vastly different from the media spin you get every day. And pretty well everything to do with the media is spin or distraction. So help yourself to those. Remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you. You can purchase the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And you can also, uh, from the U.S. to Canada, use a personal check or an international postal money order or send cash or use PayPal. And across the world, you've got Western Union MoneyGram and PayPal once again. So it's up to you how you want to, to do it. But straight donations are really, really welcome. And you'll find out how to do it, as I say, at cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. And those who don't understand the past, and truly is amazed to even find the past, even the recent past, as you constantly change history, is quite the chore. But when you do get into the old books, it's an awful eye-opener. Books written at the time, when you're going through wars, that kind of thing. And uh, uh, then you look back about 20 years later, and you've got a completely different version of what happens. Same as 9-11, uh, those who kept all the data coming out at the time uh, find a completely different story from the official version emerged later. And we end up with all these wars. Then you find out that all the wars were planned before 9-11 happened anyway. So... It's just amazing. The boys at the top have such good luck. They're always winning. Uh, they should go to the, the casinos. I guess they'd win all the time because they can always predict what's going to happen. And they've always got troops outside countries before anything does happen. And then in go the troops because they were planned that way a long time ago to do so. And as I say, your daily media spin is really made up today of uh, cultural changes. Uh, the things that you accept as little laughable things are actually meant to change culture, like Harry with his nude little orgy there, that type of stuff. And then they play it up because, you see, that wouldn't have flown very well only 10, 15 years ago. Now they can because they have their pulse on the public. And as the public watch television and dramas and comedies, they're being degraded as they watch them so that you now all accept it. it's no big deal. Nothing becomes a big deal. So much so, so that nothing shocks us at all, on any level, right down to the mass abortion 
of children that we're doing in our own countries and we're paying for across the world as well. Nothing shocks the public anymore. So you're being altered by design uh, and your opinions are being given to you and you generally will adopt the ideas of your peer group and they all go along with official versions because that's the world they live in. Also, it's very difficult for people to really believe that such big powers would want to lie to them in the first place. They truly believe they're free. They truly believe that the boys above them, the people who come out of special wombs, the dynasties that go into politics, they truly believe they're special people who are designed to somehow deal with big problems and allow you at the bottom to just go and play. And you'll find big authors in the past that designed the system you're in today. Uh, they actually wrote books about it, like Bertrand Russell. And he said that uh, we'll teach them to basically ignore politics and and let the government simply rule over them. That's happened for most folk already. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix and talking about basically how our thoughts are given to us. And our topics are given to us so much so that Brzezinski mentioned this 40 years ago, that eventually the public would be unable to reason for themselves. They'd expect the media to do the reasoning for them, and their topics every day would be the previous day's news. And that's already happened, news and sports. And so we're given our topics to talk about. It's all very safe stuff, of course, and uh, that's what the media is there for. Remember, the media uh, all belong to uh, one organization pretty well across the world now. And it's the Council on Foreign Relations. They have a department in every country, and they own media, and the journalists, and the guys who come on the television and so on, and give you your thoughts. But getting back to democracy, democracy has never really been defined as such. It's not got a static definition. It's elastic, you might say. And, of course, over a 100 years ago, those who talked about democracy coming in uh, said that eventually only the biggest groups would have a say in anything. And people at that time, some of them thought it was just political parties, but also it also meant big groups of anything, any particular agenda. And we've got lots of them out. They're all paid for by the big foundations, etc. Now, this article here is to do with something that the U.S. has already put in through their books to do with birth control and, I guess, abortion too. And this, this article is put in the paper, and it says, Should the government pay for birth control? Canadian doctors think so. Now, you don't elect Canadian doctors, that's your first point to remember. And, but they're a big group in an association. So they obviously now see themselves as a political group as well. It says the issue of government funding for contraception has fueled fierce ideological debate recently with our friends south of the border, yet here in Canada appears our own debate is stirring. What a coincidence, eh? Same time. Canadian doctors recently recommended that all forms of birth control be made available for free. Now, that obviously would include, include abortion. You see. A resolution was approved Wednesday at the annual meeting of the Canadian Medical Association. They say this is a private professional group that you don't elect them in. And they're supposed to, mind you, take care of health. They've forgotten what they're there for. Obviously, they're supposed to be there to, to save life and etc. Now they're into eugenics. So they say that uh, the Canadian Medical Association supports full coverage for all forms of contraception. 
And while Resolution DM5-58 passed with a, about 70% in favour, the issue still spurred lively discussion amongst the doctors. And it says, according to the CBC, uh, Television Canada, uh, the motion was introduced by Dr. Sarah Cook, a Yellowknife family doctor, who believes that birth control is not accessible enough, and that even when it's accessible, the cost is often prohibitive. Another Yellowknife doctor added that unwanted pregnancies are a far greater public health expense than birth control. So they're down to economics, you see. These doctors that's also deal in health care are down to economics and the value of life. Uh, I'm talking about economic value. The similar argument was made when several American states recently subsided um, subsidies for or cut them for contraceptives, despite analysis that the cuts would cost more money than they saved, reports the National Post. Some doctors at the meeting questioned what level of government would fund the initiative. Now, what, what, gov- what level of government does it matter? The taxpayers are the only ones who fund anything from government. Says, is this going to be a provincial or a territorial or federal program that will be available to all patients? And that's a cost that's involved, said Dr. Lawrence Coleman of Toronto. And it says, um, it's not yet clear how the CMA will lobby the federal government to fund contraception. Now, why would the Canadian Medical Association be lobbying the government to start with? Really? Really? They don't ask the public what they want, see? See, the public really and democracy are out the picture. You're either a, a big NGO, non-governmental organization, funded by the big foundations with trillions of dollars across the planet, or you're a bunch like this. It's often, they don't know who's funding them, except we're all paying them in Canada. And no doubt, too, they'll be getting grants from big pharma as well and other organizations. And says, as uh, providing health care falls under provincial jurisdiction, exactly how the CMA resolutions will be implemented is something that will continue to be debated and decided by members throughout the year. Now, it's not up to them to decide what's to happen to the general public. As I say, we don't vote these characters in. They're allowed to have their opinions, and that's that. So it says here the CMA carries a lot of weight, and I think it's great they'll be lobbying the federal governments on the issues, says Agatha Gramet Kedzior, acting executive director of Canadians for Choice, a national pro-choice charitable foundation. So there you go, there's a charitable foundation in there, block them in there too, run by the big foundations to do with eugenics. Contraceptives should be fully funded to prevent STIs, sexually transmitted infections, rather than disease. Disease sounds nastier, you see, so they call infections here. And unwanted pregnancies, which cost our healthcare system a huge amount of money. And so she points out there are many reasons someone might not be able to afford birth control, be it a woman in a precarious employment situation or a young person that doesn't want their parents to know they're sexually active. Well, most of them are because that's always been rammed down their throats through, through music television and the comedies and the movies for years and years to make that happen, you see. Monkey see, monkey do. Anyway, Matthew Woltzewski, uh, uh, project manager at Campaign Life Condition uh, Coalition, a Canadian pro-life advocacy organization, sees the resolution as a poor financial decision. It says, we're already drowning in debt and we're suffering financially, it says Wojciechowski. It says, we need more nurses, more doctors, better technology, but instead they're calling on taxpayers to fund lifestyle choices. And that's true. Lifestyle choices. And we don't agree with that, you see. So as I say, most people, will see, most people will, and Canadians will definitely do it, they'll say, oh, Canadian Medical Association. Well, they're not part of government. 
They're allowed their opinions, but they shouldn't be lobbying for what the general public will have to end up paying for. And it's true, it's lifestyle choices. You never come, you never hear any of them ever come out, ever, ever come out when these things are going on and say, well, can't we put some restrictions on maybe Hollywood? Oh my goodness, that would never happen. Never happen. And all the porn that made sure was, was freely available for all children to see through the internet. Never happened. You see, we're all being guided down a path. And eventually, as I say, you'll, the, the system will be, like they said at, um, the Fabian Society a long time ago, you'll have to come to them and they'll decide whether you should be, where you're born in the first place if they need you. And once you're alive, you have to come to them and uh, say why they should keep you alive. You must serve the world state. See, that's what's coming down the pike. Now, Australia has to boost refugee numbers. This is, war is great, you see. It floods other countries with all the, the, the refugees who naturally run out. Yeah, I would too, wouldn't you? And it says, um, Australia said it would increase its annual refugee intake by 40% to 20,000 a year as part of a plan to deter people smugglers. Because you get people smugglers make a lot of cash off. Of people, make a, lot of ca- a lot of different people make money off war, you know. <laughs> and so, so it increases annual refugee intake by 40%. To 20,000 a year as part of a plan to deter the smugglers. And uh, Prime Minister Julia Gillard said the rise, which was recommended by a recent expert inquiry into refugee policy, would include the immediate resettlement of 400 asylum seekers from Indonesia as a gesture of goodwill. So that's part of the reason, too, they've flooded uh, a good part of Europe is with the wars. Folk trying to get away and get out. So, and I know this is going to happen before they start the wars, too. And it fulfills different um, uh, parts of the purpose, the great plan too, uh, to multiculturalize society and destroy the, the initial uh, culture that was there. That came out with Tony Blair and, and his assistant, the Prime Minister, in the mainstream a while back. Nothing happens by chance, nothing at all. It's all planned that way. Now, it's amazing, too, that there's never enough money for everything, supposedly, or hardly anything for the general public. But we've got money for wars, and, and it's a great industry, the war industry, massive industry. And it's all to keep you safe, of course. And that's been the ancient technique from then to the present time, is to keep you safe. And uh, and there's so much money thrown all, not, not all stuff that's put into the air right away, or different kind of weaponry that's used right away, but a lot of it's put into uh, experimentation for the future. Billions and billions and billions of dollars. Anyway, Chameleon 2, it says the American defense robot that can creep into rooms and then disguise itself against the surfaces. It's like some of sci-fi. America's defense agencies released footage of the latest research project, which is a robot that can crawl onto any surface and then discreetly camouflage itself. It's made of soft silicone. has been designed to infiltrate areas through small gaps before adapting its skin tone to that of the surroundings. While movie fans may see overtones of the sinister shape-shifting robot from the Terminator series, for the moment this robot is still in prototype form and takes 30 seconds to change color. So, they're working on that. And there's a video along with it too, we'll put that up. They love to show videos to see how wonderful it is. supposed to praise them for all this uh, knowledge and, and expertise that came out with all these new things. 
He says, soft robot, uh, ro- uh, robots can be seen in the video walking on a bed of rocks before being filled with fluid to match the color of the rocks and break up the robot's shape. By introducing narrow channels into the molds through which air and various types of fluids can be pumped, the robot can be made to change color, contrast, apparent shape, and temperature to blend with its environment. It can also glow through uh, chemical uh, luminescence and most importantly achieve movement through pneumatic pressurization and inflation of the channels. So it says at a pumping rate of 2.25 millimeters per minute, color change in the robot required 30 seconds. Once filled, the color layers require no power to sustain the color. It moves at approximately 40 meters per hour. Without the coloured fluid, it can move at approximately 67 metres per hour. So you might get these sneaking under your doors at night too, and then climbing up the wall and blending in with the wallpaper, I suppose. That's the way things seem to be going. Back with more after this break. Folks, I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. I always take interest in articles when articles come out of your own country, for instance, and, and they lambast some other country for some kind of corruption or something. And you get the same thing in your own country, just just the same, you know. But it says here, food security is China's food production characterized by corruption and health-threatening practices. A report on Chinese TV showed rotten peaches spiked with sodium metabisulfite to make the fruit look fresh. You know, I know for a fact people in Canada who, who work with companies that go around the grocery stores early in the morning before the people get in and they spray stuff on all the veggies to make them look fresh and the fruit. <laughs> but here's China, so it's bad, right? Seasoned in bleaching agents and additives harmful to the human liver and kidneys and pickles in outdoor pools. Surrounded by garbage, the peaches are then packed in dirty bags which were previously sold or used to hold animal feed and shipped off to big brand stores. Trouble is, the story is typical of rather than an exception to food production practices in China. And it says, in a disturbing report, China's national broadcaster, CCTV, detailed the manufacturing process followed by 16 different Chinese companies that sell preserved fruit. The report showed rotten peaches spiked with the metabisulfate, as I said, to make it look fresh and so on. And then they put in these dirty garbage bags, basically. The potentially toxic fruit is just the latest item in China's growing list of food products, which are seriously dangerous to citizens. Baby formula adulterated with melamine made uh, the headlines. That was by, that was Nestle. It was at, at the head of that one at the time. But the New York Times reports that other foodstuffs produced by Chinese manufacturers include meat containing banned steroids, uh, rice contaminated with cadmium, uh, noodles flavored with ink and paraffin, and mushrooms treated with fluorescent bleach, and cooking oil recycled from street gutters. I actually saw uh, a program on that once where every night. In the main cities, there are guys employed, and they lift up the, 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 the gratings on the gutters, and the oil floats to the top. So they're, they, they, that's where they dump all their cooking oil. And so these guys re, re, suck it all out again and uh, recycle it. It's, uh, I guess they call it very practical in the communist systems. Anyway, it says, The potentially toxic fruit is just the latest item on China's growing list of food products, which are seriously dangerous to citizens. And it says... Um, the food safety problems are a result of the country's business ethics 
and the failure of government regulators to keep pace with an expanding market. And they say that the poor government oversight is an indication of a deeper problem of a weakening civil or civic morality. Well, they're only copying the morality at the top. I mean, that's how all socialist, communist-type systems work. Because the ones at the top, believe you me, are living high on the hog, and it's a very fixed, rigid system. In 2009, the Chinese government enacted the food safety law to prohibit the use of unauthorized additives and materials to provide a basis for food oversight from production to households. A national commission of three uh, vice premiers and 12 minister-level officials was set up. The end result, however, has not been what the government or citizens were aiming for. There's so much corruption, it mentions that too, inefficient and corruption are widespread amongst the officials which were supposed to enforce these laws. You get a corruption too in Canada and the States and everywhere else. It happens. I've seen it. I've actually seen it in places I've worked in the past. And um, money changes hands and eyes look the other way. And that's how things really are in the great world. But as I say, it's always kind of funny when your country tries to lambast some other country when they're doing pretty much the same kind of stuff. And this article, too, is from, from the UK listeners. Um, it says, have your say on the draft communications data bill. I'll put this up tonight. It's a joke because you, just, you, you don't have any say, but you can always complain. And it's been out already for about a month, but it's going on for another month. And it says, the Joint Committee on the Drafts Communications Data Bill, uh, chaired by Lord uh, Blen Cathra, is conducting pre-legislative scrutiny into the draft bill and policies it seeks to implement. This is the, the really one that's going to, you're already observed to the nth degree, but this is going into even more privacy. It says, well, take oral and written evidence and make recommendations and reports to both houses, and the Joint Committee invites interested organisations and individuals to submit written evidence as part of the inquiry. So I'll put that up tonight for those who, who want to waste their time. And this article is quite interesting, too. It's, uh, it's about Iceland, and of course, we've heard what Iceland did. Uh, they didn't uh, go bankrupt other countries and put their people into austerity. They threw out the bankers, in fact, and some of them they, they put in prison, I believe. They know they've charged them. So for approximately three years, the governments, the banking cabal and the corporate media have assured us that they knew the appropriate approach for fixing the economies that they had previously crippled with their own mismanagement. We're told that the key was to stomp on the little people with austerity in order to continue making full invest payments to the bond parasites at any and all costs. And it says, following three years of this continuous uninterrupted failure, uninterrupted failure, I should say, Greece has already defaulted on 75% of its debts and its economy is totally destroyed. The UK, Spain, and Italy are all plummeting downwards in suicide spirals, where the more austerity these sadistic governments inflict upon their people, the worse their debt and deficit problems get. Ireland and Portugal are nearly in the same position. And it says, now in what may be the greatest economic mea culpa in history, we have the media admitting that the government banking propaganda machine Troika has been wrong all along. They've been forced to acknowledge that Iceland's approach to economic triage was a correct approach right from the beginning. What, what was Iceland's approach? To do the exact opposite of everything the bankers running our own economies told us to do. The bankers naturally told us that we needed to bail out the criminal big banks, at taxpayers' expense, and they were too big to fail. Iceland gave the banksters nothing. And I'll continue with this when we come back from this break.
are listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the Matrix, talking about Iceland and what they did to deal with their crisis that the bankers caused, of course. And it says, the bankers told us that no amount of suffering for the little people was too great in order to make sure that the bond parasites got paid at 100%, uh, 100 cents on the dollar. Iceland told the bond parasites who would get what was left over after the people had been taken care of by their own government. The bankers told us that our governments could no longer afford the same education, health care and pension systems which our parents had taken for granted. Iceland told the bankers that what the country could no longer afford was to continue to be blood-sucked by the worst financial criminals in the history of our species. Now, after three-plus years of this absolute dichotomy in economic policy-making, a clear picture has emerged, despite the, despite the best efforts of the propaganda machine to hide the truth. And so three pages to this, and I'll put this link up tonight, and you go through all the rest of it for yourselves for your, to see how they actually got out of it and how they're coping today. And the countries, of course, that didn't uh, uh, fight back in any way and, um, and, and they sat back and watched the big crooks being rewarded with your tax money and bailed out. And you find that it, this is what's happening in Italy and Greece and elsewhere. It says a 50-year-old man died Sunday after setting himself on fire outside the Italian parliament to, hi- to highlight his struggle with the unemployment, police said. Angelo Di Carlo suffered 85% burns after the incident in front of the lower house of parliament, the chamber of deputies, in central Rome during the early hours of August 11th. Police and Jews nearby put out the flames with fire extinguishers and took him to the hospital. The widower was facing economic difficulties after losing his job and has struggled for years before that with temporary work contracts that offered little protection or benefits, according to media reports. It's always the ones at the bottom that get, hit the, far, the, the first strike. They're the first to get hit and the hardest too. Italians are grappling with a recession and rising unemployment when facing higher taxes and state spending cuts introduced by the government to try and help rein in Italy's massive public debts. So that the big guys that are too big to fail, of course, can go on uh, having their big uh, massive lunches with each other and, and conspiring to pull off the next con. This article here, too, is to do with U.S. intelligence tests, and they're using crowdsourcing against its experts, it says. It says, uh, might large groups be better predictors of wars and terrorism than analysts and government spy services? It says, nine years ago, the Congress blocked a Pentagon agency from setting up a website that would have allowed anyone with a credit card to bet on the likelihood of foreign assassinations, coups, and terrorist attacks. The idea was to take advantage of the wisdom of crowds a social science maxim that contends the average of a group of forecasters under certain circumstances tends to be more accurate than even the most knowledgeable single forecaster. But lawmakers worried the proposed uh, predictions uh, market could allow terrorists to profit from their own misdeeds, kind of like the bankers, eh? They can bet on things failing. Congress forced the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, the military's cutting-edge research arm known as DARPA, to scuttle the program. But since now terrorism futures are back, DARPA's sister agency, one you haven't really heard of much, the Intelligence Advanced Research Projects Activity, which funds experimental projects for the U.S. intelligence community, 
is running a four-year, $50 million program that pays people willing to predict major world events, including wars and terrorist strikes. Unlike the earlier scheme, participants can't profit from their predictions. It's now in its second year, and the so-called South Crowdsourcing Project involves uh, competing corporate and university teams, including the UC Irvine. Irvine. Each team includes more than a dozen social scientists and many as 2,000 participants who can answer hundreds of questions each if they want. The study is known as Aggregate, they love these names, Aggregative uh, Contingent Estimation, is designed to see where the 17 agencies in the U.S. intelligence community can aggregate the judgment of its thousands of analysts rather than rely on the expertise of just a few to issue more accurate warnings to policymakers before and during major global events. As this year, participants in the process and the project gave their best guesses on where the free Syrian army, you know, the ones we all employ to go over there and overthrow Syria, will gain control of Aleppo, for example, or whether Kim Jong-un will resign as leader of North Korea before April the 1st, 2013, etc., etc. But there are a whole bunch of universities in it, including the University of Pennsylvania and different ones. And so they're getting everybody into the spy game. And it's a bit of a joke when you've got long-term policy already made. Maybe the whole thing's to find out how many folk will clue in of what they want to do next, according to the agenda. Because it's all an agenda, you know. And this is an article, too, about some possible civil war in the U.S. And this is a Lubbock County, Texas judge at uh, the Panhandle County's chief administrator, is asking for a tax increase to hire deputies for the inevitable civil war he believes would follow President Obama's re-election. The way he puts it, Judge Tom Heads wants to prepare for the worst, which to him means civil unrest, civil, civil disobedience, and possible civil war, according to a report from Fox 34 Lubbock. Judge Tom Head and Commissioner Mark Heinrich told the station this week that a 1.7% tax increase for the next fiscal year was necessary to prepare for the many contingencies, including Obama's re-election. He also mentioned to the station that the county needs to pay increases needed for the district attorney's office and more funds to pay for more sheriff's office deputies. He's going to try to hand over the sovereignty of the United States to the United Nations, is what the man said. And what is going to happen, uh, what's going to happen when that happens? Heads asked the station during a Monday interview, I'm thinking the worst such as civil unrest, civil disobedience, civil war perhaps, and we're not just talking a few riots here and demonstrations, we're talking Lexington, Concord, take up arms and get rid of the guy. He Head also seems to fear the retaliation of such civil unrest. And he says, now what's going to happen if we do that, if the public decides to do that, he's going to send in United Nations troops. I don't want him in Lubbock County, so I'm going to stand in front of the armored personnel carrier and say, you're not coming in here. I remember, it was, it was Kissinger said many, many, many years ago, uh, when they talked about the United Nations troops coming into the United States one day, and he says, under the right circumstances, the people would welcome them in. And you should ask yourself where he was saying that, giving that speech in the first place. And that was in California, I think he gave that speech. He says, and the sheriff, I've already asked him. I said, you're going to back me. He said, yeah, I'll back you. Well, I don't want a bunch of rookies back there. I want trained, equipped, seasoned veteran officers to back me up. The station reports that the tax hike will provide an additional $832,433, coupled with $2 million in cuts to make the numbers work. 
So there you go. It's who knows. I know that there will be civil unrest down the road because we're all turning into third world countries, whether we recognise it or not. The signs are all around you. I mean, you've got senators that want to bring in big, hefty sentences for people who are stealing metal now. They're even stealing the metal from graveyards because the economy is kaput. Kaput. It's all overseas. And that was the plan when they signed the, signed the deal with China a long time ago. Article came out too to do with be careful who you follow because you'll find behind all the uprisings and so on and always behind terrorist bombings inside the US, you've always got the FBI. And it says, man who armed the Black Panthers was an FBI informant, records show. And it says uh, that uh, the man who gave the Black Panther Party some of his first firearms and weapons training, which preceded uh, fatal shootouts with Oakland police in the turbulent 1960s, was an undercover FBI informer, according to a former bureau agent in an FBI report. One of the Bay Area's most prominent radical activists of the era, Richard Masato Oake, was known as a fierce militant who touted his street-fighting abilities. He was a member of several radical groups before joining and arming the Panthers, whose members received international notoriety for brandishing weapons during patrols of the Oakland police and a protest at the state legislature. He went on to work for 25 years as a teacher, counselor, and administrator at the Peralta Community College District, and after his suicide in 2009, he was revered as a fearless radical. But unbeknownst to his fellow activists, Ioki had served as an FBI intelligence informant, covertly filing reports on a wide range of Bay Area political groups, according to the bureau agent who recruited him. That agent is called uh, Bernie Threadgill Jr. I recall that he approached Aoki in the late 50s, about the time Aoki was graduating from Berkeley High School. He asked Aoki if he would join left-wing groups and report to the FBI. He was my informant. I developed him, Threadgill said in an interview. He's one of the best sources we had. The former agent said uh, he asked Eko how he felt about the Soviet Union, and the young man replied that he had no interest in communism. I said, oh, why don't you just go home, go to some of the, of the meetings and tell me who's there and what they're talking about? Uh, very pleasant little guy. He always wore dark glasses, he says. So, uh, see, they can tell you this many, many years after the fact because there's official secret sacks and time limits to all these things. And they tell you way after the fact when most of them are dead and no one cares anymore. But the same techniques are being used all the time. So those out there, especially young guys who are going to get radicalized by, by people, be very, very careful because you're getting set up. It's the same everywhere across the world, Canada, Britain, you name it, especially in this day and age. Don't follow anybody. And... Um, Here's the article actually here to do with uh, metal being stolen in the States. And Britain has got pretty bad too. They're even stealing the, the lead sheeting under the roofs of, uh, of churches over in Britain now because it's just dire straits. So Schumer aims to make metal theft a federal offence. Uh, critical infrastructure isn't just under electronic assault, according to one New York lawmaker. It's also being physically assaulted by metal thieves cutting away at bridges, gas lines and other facilities in search of a quick buck. As scrap metal prices skyrocket, metal thieves pose a potentially dire threat to the nation's bridges, water and gas lines, and electrical systems. You see the price of copper these days? I mean, it's sky high. 
Schumer appeared at a press conference at Syracuse, New York School, where metal thieves had stolen copper air conditioning lines, uh, causing thousands of dollars in damage. And it says he's introduced legislation that makes stealing metals such as iron, copper, and other metals a federal offense. And it really is going through the roof. But as I say, it's happening all over the place because the economy is kaput. And when that happens, crime rises. People will survive one way or another. You know, that's just the way it is. And I've mentioned before about neuroscience. It wants to create itself as a, a proper science. Most sciences are, are, are really full of nothing but theories and guesses. A theory is just somebody's guess that they all agree is a good guess. <laughs> so anyway, neuroscience, since it's pushing itself up there, has put different videos up there on trying to get psychopaths off with easy court sentences. They can't help it, you see. And neuroscience, you see, can help prove that, you see. And so here's another article on it. It says, biology gives American psychopaths a legal break. I knew this was going to happen years ago. Criminal psychopaths in the U.S. whose lawmakers provide biological evidence for their brain condition are more likely to be sentenced to shorter jail terms than those who are simply said to be psychopaths, according to new research. So just saying it's a biological condition at the courtroom is going to get a linear sentence. It says... Uh, a study published in the Journal of Science found that if judges were told that a criminal was a psychopath, they considered it an aggravating factor. But if they also heard a biological explanation for the disorder, they gave the shorter sentences. Researchers from the University of Utah who conducted the study said the findings were surprising and worrying, and external experts said they had problematic implications for how brain science might affect criminal justice in the future. And that's where they're trying to get into everything, especially the justice system, with all their theories, you know. Since in the coming years we're likely to find out about all kinds of biological causes of criminal behavior. So the question is, and this is an old communist idea, by the way, that there have to be biological causes for criminal behavior. You see, that's why if you were, if you're a psychopath and a criminal, you got a very light jail sentence in Russia. But if you spoke out against the government, you were locked away for life and probably killed. So the question, see, under, under, under their, their belief system, anyone can be retrained, you understand. So the question is, why does the law care if most behavior is biologically caused? Said Tennille Brown, an associate professor at the university's College of Law. And Senior Fazil, clinical senior lecturer at the Forensic Psychiatry in Britain's Oxford University, note there are already known biological bases for many disorder criminals suffer from, including drug abuse, alcoholism, and antisocial personality disorder. So if psychopathy reduces your sentence because it has a biological basis, why shouldn't these other more common conditions also result in reduced sentences? See how it affects everybody, everything else? You see? And the Utah team carried out a survey of 181 judges in the U.S. who were given a hypothetical case of aggravated battery to consider. They found that when judges were given a biochemical explanation for a criminal's psychopathy, they saw this as a mitigating factor and reduced the sentence on average about a year. Now, they haven't found any biological or biomechanical reason for it at all. They really haven't found it. And even when they say there's a certain part that's a different size in the frontal lobe of the brain, that's uh, literally smaller in psychopaths, um, it doesn't mean all psychopaths commit crime, by the way. There's lots of psychopaths out there and, and who are professionals in surgery or a lot of them in academia and definitely a lot in politics, you see. But it doesn't mean there's a, a biological uh, cause for it. They haven't got the proof of that or they'd all be crazy. 
and, and antisocial and nasty. But it doesn't matter. This is the big agenda. Because neuroscience, you see, is to eventually take control of all of us from birth to death. And psychological um, testing from birth to death. And this is part of the agenda here that I'm reading right now. As they raise their, their, their standard as being a new science uh, that's going to show that they are the top science of human behavior. And this article here, too, has to do with, um, um, from CNN, actually, it's from, Surveillance Unit Produced No Terrorism Leads, the NYPD says. It's from CNN. And remember the whole bunch of them were caught in a room and they were part of a spy network watching Muslims. But it says, Surveillance Unit Produced No Terrorist Leads, the NYPD says. And it says, NYPD's demographic unit was put together with the CIA's help. Now, this is CIA working inside the U.S. and it doesn't matter about laws anymore. They can do what they want. The unit's reports never led to a terrorist investigation in at least six years of monitoring of the Islamics. Thomas P. Galati's testimony was part of a suit that began with class action case in 1971. And says, NYPD says premise that the demographic unit was used for wholesale spying was false. And... Um, it says that a controversial NYPD surveillance unit that catalogued information Muslim communities never produced a lead that linked to a potential terrorist plot during the years of its investigation, according to the head of the city's police intelligence division. So its demographics unit, or zone assessment unit, was put together with the CIA's help following the September 11 attacks, and the unit has acknowledged that it engaged in monitoring that included Muslim-owned businesses and mosques across the New York region but they didn't have one thing to report in six years of surveillance. So, you know, there it goes. That's how things really work out. Uh, Unless the FBI's in there with uh, an instigator. Back with more after this break. I'm Alan Watts, and I've mentioned many times about this big system and how they decided a long time ago to use socialism or communistic-style bureaucracy to control all the people through numerous ways of, from birth to death and all situation, all, all data will be kept on you, etc. And government officials and agencies will rule your life all through your life. That's already happened, of course, and that pleases the fascists on top, you know, the big bankers on the whole system. And it says here, here's an article here which shows you how the chaos of, of globalization uh, affects everyone, especially those who really need the cash. Because in Britain, they have a, 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 a winter fuel allowance. It's only £200 they get for pensioners. And I've read articles year after year here how many thousands die in Britain in their homes, pensioners, because they can't afford the bills. And that's acceptable now to the government, you see. It's acceptable. You know, they're, they're over the hill. They're not paying taxes anymore because they're pensioners. Uh, they're paying low taxes, but they're, but pensioners and they're not, you know, they're not consumers anymore and producers. Like, remember, the United Nations definition of a good citizen, world citizen, is a producer and consumer. Once you're, you're retired, you're, you're no longer a producer. But it says pensioners will have to take a temperature test before claiming their £200 winter fuel allowance after the European Union. 
ruled that the British expatriates in tropical countries are also eligible for the heating benefits. So it's going to take more money away from folk living in Britain to get folk who've moved off into the hot countries. They get paid as well. Ian Duncan Smith, the working pensions secretary, has promised to fight the ridiculous EU ruling that cost the UK almost £100 million per year. They're still in it. I mean, see, Britain doesn't really have, this parliament they have in Britain is just a sham. They're under this massive Soviet system of the EU. It says the diktat, and that's what they call it, diktat means 444,000 expatriates who have spent most of their life working life in Britain would be eligible for the payments. Currently only 73,000 who currently get it because they still live in the UK when they retire. It says, but Mr. Duncan Smith is now planning to bring in a new rule saying the payments can only go to people living in cooler climates. The winter fuel payment is about helping British pensioners with heating costs, he told the newspaper. It's ridiculous. It's ludicrous. We could have to pay more pensioners in hot countries. That's globalization for you. That's your socialist system. You know, and that's how it goes, folks. And another article I'll put up tonight too, and going to cuttingthroughmakes.com to get all these articles is about Ritalin, and it's called Raising the Ritalin Generation. And it says, um, here's an example about a, a child who was diagnosed, eight-year-old boy, of course, uh, with unusual eight-year-old boy's energy. And they, he was, you know, the, the school teacher suggested an evaluation. School teachers don't like boys with a bit, a bit of energy and stuff. They don't sit like little girls. But in a socialist system, they've all be the same now. It says, uh, but the third grade teacher suggested an evaluation. It says, once you start looking for a problem, someone's going to find one. An attention deficit has become the go-to-the-diagnosis type, increasing by an average of 5.5% a year between 2003 and 2007, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. That's not a disease. As of 2010, according to National Health Interview Survey, 8.4% or 5.2 million children between the ages of 3 and 17 have been given diagnosis of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. There's no test for ADHD, she says. Teachers' impressions are given impressions. They're the ones who make the diagnosis and make the recommendations to go off and see the quack. And they drug the children. And you all think it's normal. You all think it's normal. From Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. I mean, your God or your gods go with you.